Hello, and welcome to another EdChoice Chat. This is Michael Chartier, your Senior Director of State Relations here in studio in Indianapolis. And joining us, we have two very special guests. The first is our Vice President of Communications, Jennifer Wagner. Thanks for having me on this podcast. And from the land of cactuses, we have our Policy Director, Jason Bedrick. Cacti. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I was going to correct you, but well, thank... I figured Jason would jump in. No, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So we'll have to get the attorneys general next in studio to talk to those folks. But hey, thank you guys very much for joining me. We're going to do something a little interesting, a little different than what you guys might be used to hearing about our state updates. As most of you know, most states are not in session anymore. Most have adjourned a sunny die for the year. Some states will be coming back next session. So we're thinking of taking a little different track and talking about some new and interesting topics regarding school choice. This one is something that you all might be familiar with, but don't necessarily know a lot about or about how large it is. We're going to be talking about public school choice and public school district open enrollment policies. Again, our very own Jennifer Wagner wrote a piece on Medium about public school district open enrollment. So Jen, so what did you kind of find? What did you write about? What things did you talk about in your Medium piece? Sure. So thank you, Michael, for having me on today. And I think open enrollment for those of us in the school choice movement presents an enormous untapped opportunity to talk about choice in a different way. Obviously, we here at EdChoice support private school choice. We advocate for private school choice programs, including vouchers, tax credit scholarships, education savings accounts. But the reality is that 83% of American students go to a public school. That comes from our annual Schooling in America survey. And you know, we know from that survey that they would like to go to different schooling types. Many of them would like to go to private schools but don't have access. Uh, many would like to go to charter schools. But again, the reality is that the population that we're dealing with within the public school system is very large. And so I think it's important as advocates that we continue to point out that in states like Indiana, where we have a very robust voucher program and tax credit scholarship program, that we actually have more kids using our open enrollment law to transfer out of a public school district and into another public school district or into a charter school, then we have kids enrolled in our voucher and tax credit scholarship programs. And I know Jason's going to talk about the situation in Arizona in a minute, which is equally robust, a great school choice state, one that we hold up all the time as an example. But again, I think as advocates, we can't just talk about the programs that we are advocating for because we're missing a huge audience. We're talking about in Indiana a total of almost 100,000 students who transferred out of a public school district and roughly 53,000 of them who transferred into another public school district and then the other 44,000 or so chose to attend a charter school. Why is this significant? Well, because, you know, a lot of people practice school choice, what I like to call the old-fashioned way, right? They move to go to a better school district or what they perceive to be a better school district. Open enrollment policies actually, and I use this analogy in the Medium Post, which is an awkward one for a Democrat to use, but I use the Ronald Reagan tear down this wall line. What if we had a system where you didn't have to move, where you were not required to buy or rent a house in a quote-unquote good school district? You could just apply to go there. And yes, there are obviously logistical issues of transportation and funding and whatnot, but that's effectively what we have here in Indiana. And it's worth noting that under our law, and I know, Jason, you might want to talk about the situation in Ohio, which is much different, but under our law, if you are a student in the Indianapolis Public Schools District, 
and it's the only district that is excerpted in the state from the policy that a school doesn't necessarily have to take an incoming student. But if you're in IPS, wherever you want to go has to take you. And, you know, that's reflective of, I think, some concerns about you know, IPS and the quality of the schools there. But lawmakers here, where we are located, made that a priority to make sure that those kids had more options. And again, that's something that is not to be taken lightly as we move forward talking to people broadly about the issue of school choice. That's a good overall view of public school choice here in the Hoosier State. Jeff, I have one question for you, and then I have a question for Jason after this, and, and hopefully we can spark some conversations. So you said 100,000 kids, roughly, that have left the public school district that they've been in, either to go to a charter school or another public school district. You know, why aren't those parents marching with yellow scarves on National School Choice Week at the State House? I mean, they're clearly choosers. Don't they believe that they've chosen something different than their kids? Well, I wish that they did. That's a really good point. And it's, you know, I realize that I'm an interloper in your regular monthly state team policy podcast, but over in my world of communications, we struggle to convince or even help them understand those parents who, again, practice school choice the old-fashioned way by moving or who are using open enrollment or even sometimes parents who, you know, choose a charter school. They may not even realize that, you know, that school is, is a public school. And we struggle with the broader argument of, and, and honestly, of framing it in a positive way that, yeah, I want every single one of you to be able to choose your school. But if you move to a fancy suburb for the school, you're a school chooser. If you choose via open enrollment, if you choose to homeschool, if you choose a magnet program within a public school district, you are a school chooser. And that's really important. And you should be proud of that. But at the same time, you shouldn't stand in the way of anybody else who's trying to make a similar choice or a choice that works for them. Jason, along those lines of standing in the way of uh, denying choice for others, Jen kind of teased the fact that you had looked at some data regarding public school open enrollment in the state of Ohio. What kind of things did you find there in Ohio? I think that was based on a Fordham Institute blog post or study. I and mean, what things did you see about others maybe denying children the same opportunities they were giving themselves and others?
Thank you, Jason. I can definitely see, as you point out, you know, what can happen if you sort of tear down these barriers and tear down these walls. So, Jen, I wanted to post a question to you. So, obviously, again, as, as part of the blog post, you know, it leads with the scene of Ronald Reagan telling Mikhail Gorbachev, tear down this wall, you know. The wall that separate Eastern and Western Europe was built to keep people in, not to keep people out, whereas some of these walls in Ohio were built to keep people out, sounds like, certainly as Jason pointed out that there's, you know, donuts around some of these urban cores. What should we do? What would you have us tell these communities and parents and legislators in and around these areas? How would you tell them to tear down these walls? What would you tell them to help them to do those sorts of things? Well, that's actually your job, Michael, since you advocate for changing state policy and I just talk about it. No, that's a really good question. And I, I point out in the piece that I think, obviously, one of the biggest obstacles, well, there are two obstacles. You don't see a lot of districts advertising this, in part, I think, because those districts, like in Ohio, that don't necessarily want you know, kids from lower-income urban areas in their districts, they erect those barriers, whether they're you know, the school board voting at the local level or just not talking about the fact that this is a policy that parents can use. And I think you've got another big problem, and it's, it's honestly, it's the homeowners in those areas. I think the only plea that I could possibly make to those parents is the one that I made earlier, which is, you got yours, and you're in the school that you wanted to be in, and you're in that school because you were able to locate in that community. Please don't stand in the way of other people who are merely asking for the same opportunity. It's a huge hurdle to overcome. When I first started here about three years ago, I sat through some focus groups here in Indiana that were also done in Arizona and I believe North Carolina and Florida. And I sat through the ones here in Indiana in person, and it just so happened that the, the panel discussing the issue of school choice and, and school opportunity, schooling opportunity, was a bunch of suburban moms. And it was randomly assigned that way. It's not like they went out and just recruited suburban moms. They happened to be all, there, there, was no, there were no communities of color represented in that room. And it was really, really interesting to hear them talk on the one hand about how they absolutely fundamentally believed that school choice should be available to low-income kids, that there should be an evening of the playing field, if you will. But when you asked them about their own schools, the tone and the language dramatically shifted and it was far more of a, no, I don't want those kids in our school, or I'm worried about what that would do to our school culture or our school dynamic. And I think the only way to overcome that is, is truly to, to tear down the wall and to say, look, these are just kids. They just want to learn. And it's not about, you know, income level or skin color. It's about what they're trying to access and get out of the educational system. And I, I use this example a lot. I have an 11-year-old daughter. She's got a lot of anxiety. I mean, she likes to be in smaller groups. And I took her up to a suburban high school here a couple years ago. She's a, she's a swimmer. And I took her in, and she was shocked because this particular high school has 5,000 students. And, you know, I could afford to move to this suburb. Absolutely. And she could go to that high school when she's old enough to. But it was terrifying for her to walk through those halls and realize there would be so many kids there. And I use this example a lot to say that, you know, not fitting in to a particular school or a school not meeting a particular student's needs has far less to do with income and practically nothing to do with skin color in a lot of instances 
but it has everything to do with where that kid can find the right fit for for that child. And that's a hard thing to do. We say a lot around here that we trust parents. I absolutely trust parents. I want to be trusted as a parent. But if we want to live that out, then we have to present all those options. And again, I don't know. I have no silver bullet to the policy discussion, a discussion that would undoubtedly involve realtors and homeowners. I don't have the answer other than to say, you got yours. So let's make sure everybody else can have the same opportunity. So Jason, I think I want to come back to you. I've got a question for you, I think. So let's say we do this, you know, we get these families in suburban Ohio to tear down the wall, as it were, and let children go from school district to school district. As the former Friedman Foundation of Educational Choice, does that count for us? Is that something that we care about? Is that a win in our book? Should that be a win in our book?
Jason, I want to know if you are actually looking at my laptop because I just screenshotted several newspaper pop-up ads for local school districts here that have been coming through on our hometown newspaper, and I'm preparing to write another Medium post about that very topic because I I 100% agree. That's a good thing. And schools should have to compete for those eyes. And, you know, I think we're at a really good place in this movement. We're, you know, roughly, well, the idea of school choice has obviously been around for a very long time and has been in practice for a very long time in in some states. But really, the, the true effort that we're talking about is around 30 years old. And we're starting to obviously see the results, almost all of which are positive from the private school choice programs that we've advocated for. But to your point, we are seeing public school districts, whether through magnet programs or, you know, just offering different curriculum opportunities and options, we are seeing them start to actually mirror a marketplace and advertise those things to different families. And, and that's, that's what Milton Friedman was after. You know, that's what we're here for. Even though, and I know there are certain folks who probably would disagree with our assessment that this is a good thing because it's still, it's still choice within a limited system. It is still choice within the public school system with all the rules and all the regulations that come with that and all the testing that comes with that. But we are now able to have this broader conversation because enough parents, because we've reached or are close to reaching, I believe, a tipping point in this movement where you've had enough time elapse where you've got generations who have been exposed to choice. And I always say that choice, you know, it's the genie that you can't put back in the bottle. You can't take someone's choice away from them once they've been given it, because it is an incredibly empowering thing to be able to say, oh, I'm no longer limited by where I live. I can get my kid and, you know, maybe have multiple kids. I can get this kid into that school. This kid I'm going to, you know, homeschool. This kid, you know, needs this kind of an opportunity. And that's an amazingly empowering thing. And it's, it's, I mean, I know a lot of the times, especially in the line of work that you are both in, it can be disheartening because, you know, sometimes our policies and our ideas don't become legislation. They don't become enacted programs. But from my perspective, over in communications world, we are moving toward a place where the conversation is no longer about should you or shouldn't you have choice? It's about what kind of choices you have access to. And I firmly believe that our kids' generation and certainly the kids beyond their generation, so the next generation, will come to expect this. There will be no more conversations at the state house about whether or not people should have choice. We'll just be arguing about the details. Jen, thank you for wrapping that up. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. As Jen talked about and Jason talked about, the work of Ed Choice is to empower those families to go out and make the best choices for their children. And in that same vein, we want to go out and empower you guys, our listeners, to email us with ideas about what you guys want to hear about on these podcasts. I have not received yet a single email from people that want us on the state team to talk about a particular set of issues and whatnot. So I want to uh, challenge you guys to send us some ideas about things that you want us to talk about. With that in mind, you can email us at media at edchoice.org. Again, that's media at edchoice.org. Subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. And please feel free to follow us on social media at edchoice. Again, thank you very much for listening in. And we will be 
signing off. Thank you, everybody.